What would you do if you finally met the woman of your dreams? And then we travel to Lisbon, Portugal to take a look at an extraordinary event that has us ask the question, are fictional characters the Antichrist? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. hope you guys are having a happy whatever, whatever day you're listening to this. It could be 3000 AD. Who knows? But I hope you guys are having an awesome fight against the Zentradi in the future. As we're watching the future war unfold, in comes today's legacy Patreon supporter. Give it up for Adam Carter. Everyone give a big round of applause for Adam Carter coming in. Cartwheeling into... Dead Rabbit Command, I'm sure he hears that joke all the time. He's like, no, no one has ever confused Carter with a cartwheel. Adam, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand that. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. You have no idea how much it helps getting the word out. Adam, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to row all the way out. To pull and splash. Splash. Oh, I have to come up with a better sound effect for that one. But Adam is brilliantly guiding us out to Poland. Specifically, we're going to Swino Juicy, Poland. And we're going back to some olden times in Swino Juicy. We're talking like pre-1848. So by the time we get there, the world's all sepia tone. It's like log cabins and I don't know, a bunch of geese probably running around. The town, they just elected a geese as mayor, and he's bringing in his people. We're in Swinjuicy, and there are these two farm workers, and they share a room. And it's like, the whole house is just one room. Imagine this like a fairy tale, but it's not. I'm not reading fairy tales again. Even even though the story will sound like a fairy tale, just hold on. They're in like a, a gingerbread house. They're in a gingerbread house, and the roommates are constantly eating the walls. Ah, we've been exposed to the elements. The big bad wolf is going to blow it down now. They're in a one-room shack. And that would suck, right? Having roommates isn't the funnest thing in the world. But imagine if there were no walls between you. You're just all laying in this house together. And it's even worse because one of the guys, we're going to name him Tommy. Tommy is plagued with horrible nightmares. So get off of me. The geese, the geese, not again. No. And in this time period, they called them Marts. Maybe the T was silent, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter how they pronounce them. They were nightmares. And they actually saw it as the version of like the old hag. So what it is, is a nightmare wasn't just you having a horrible dream. Something was coming into your house and sitting on your chest and making it hard for you to breathe and giving you these horrible visions. So, you know, like just all that basic old hag type of mythology. This happens every night, and Joe's like, bro, we gotta work on the farm tomorrow. Can you please stop screaming at the top of your lungs at three in the morning? But that's the spookiest time, Tommy says. It's happening so often that finally they get together, and they're like, we have to catch this. Because they're thinking that the nightmare is a physical entity, or at least some sort of energy they can control. Nowadays, if, you're, if you have nightmares and your roommate goes, did you try catching it? You're getting a new roommate. But back then, the other guy goes, oh, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think about catching my nightmares? So what they do is they come up with this plan. Tommy goes, okay, the next time I'm asleep, when you hear me moaning, uh, 
and I'm asleep. If I'm just laying in bed with the covers over my body, don't do it then. But if I'm actually asleep, it's your cue to jump up and cover up the knot hole in the door. And that's how old this house was, that you just have holes in your house. You try to get like a door. If you were really rich, your door had no holes in it. But this one is like, so you're going to jump up. You're going to plug the knot hole in the door because I bet you how this nightmare. I bet you that's how this nightmare is getting in here. And then wake me up. Wake me up and I'll grab onto the nightmare. And Joe's like, that is foolproof. How did we not think of that? Also, we should just plug the hole in the door anyways. Right? Let's just do that. No, no, no. It'll be better if we capture this nightmare. So what happens is, of course, that night, he starts having this nightmare again. And Joey runs and he plugs the hole up. He plugs the hole up in the door. And then the dude, Tommy, wakes up and he's gra- he can feel the force as he's grabbing onto something. Oh, you're not getting away from me. He's grabbing onto it. He's grabbing onto it. He can feel it try to leave. But he won't let go. And then eventually, he feels the energy kind of dissipate. And he realizes it must be gone. We must have caught it, but maybe it got away. So homeboys... So the two dudes fall back asleep, right? Because what else are you going to do? After you've struggled with a supernatural entity that broke into your house, you still got to get your Zs. The next morning, though, they wake up. And they hear something in the house. What, huh? What's going on? I just woke up. They see a beautiful woman crouch down behind their stove. She's a little little peak of blonde hair sticking out there. I'm assuming because they said she was attractive, so of course she's a blonde, right? She's looking out, looking out. And they're like, they look at each other and they realize this must be the nightmare. So they get up and they're like, "Hey, um, we know that you <laughs> we know that you've been breaking our house all this time, and giving me nightmares. Is that true?" And she says, "Okay, listen. As crazy as it's going to sound, I am the physical manifestation of a nightmare. But before you guys do something absolutely horrible to me, I'm a human. I'm an actual like normal human girl who got turned into a nightmare." And Tommy and Joey kind of look at each other and go, oh, that makes sense. Because the lore, again, if someone said that, if someone said that to you today, you'd send them off to the loony bin. But the lore states that there are different ways that a human can become a nightmare. If a human is born on a Sunday and... <laughs> I didn't finish writing the sentence in my notes. All it says is... <laughs> Okay, in my notes it says if a human is born on Sunday and their eyebrows, they become a nightmare. So I don't know exactly what their eyebrows are supposed to do. You're like, Jason, that's your only job is to research this stuff. I think it's if their eyebrows... It's one of the it's one of the two. If their eyebrows touch or if they have no eyebrows. I'm pretty sure I was supposed to have written if a human is born on Sunday and they have a unibrow, then they can become a nightmare. Um, you can also, if you're one of the seven, if your family has seven boys in a row and you're the seventh boy, you might become a nightmare. And the same thing is there are seven girls. You're the seventh girl in the nightmare. You're the seventh girl in a row. You could become a nightmare. There's all these different ways to do it. So she goes, that one of those happened to me. She goes, my eyebrows. And they look at each other and they nod. They're like, oh yeah, the eyebrows. You do have those eyebrows. And they wink because they know the secret. Now that they've established that this young, beautiful maiden is a 
nightmare, but she's actually human. Now the most important thing between these two gentlemen comes up. Who gets her? Because at the end of the day, they've captured a beautiful woman. As horrible as that is, that's the way they're looking at it. They're like, well, we have this captive. Who gets to marry her? So they start fighting because the one guy goes, "You well, you know, she plagued me night after night for a long time. I had these horrible visions of death and misery. And then finally, I grabbed onto her and held onto her so tight that the ethereal energy of her was not able to leave my grasp. And I brought her to this reality. And Joey goes, I put, I put some cotton in all. So I should get her. It's always like, no, no, you didn't even have any nightmares. So they fought over this girl. I'll put you through that knothole, Joey, if you keep complaining. So he married this girl. We'll call her Elizabeth. So he marries Elizabeth the Nightmare, and they end up having children. Which now Joey must really feel like the odd man out, because now he's basically just living with his family. And it says in the story, this German folktale, quote, they had children and lived together quite happily. Unquote. And I thought, huh, what? Like, she's trapped. Like, she's still in servitude, right? At a certain point, she's trapped. And you go, well, maybe they went on day trips, and maybe they went to see the site. <laughs> maybe they toured plague-ridden Europe. Who knows? But she was happy, but every day... The victor writes the story, right? Because uh, Tommy's like, oh, dude, no, she's totally cool. Every single day, though, she goes, hey, Tommy, I was wondering, could you show me where that knothole was that you plugged up with the thing? Remember that whole time when you pulled me out of the shadow realm and you plugged up that hole. Can you show me where that's at? And Tommy would be like, nah, it's maybe tomorrow, but I'm kind of tired right now. He's like sitting two feet from it. He's like, you can easily point at it. He's like, ah, I've been working. My arms hurt. Let's go have more kids. And every single day she'd go, can I was wondering if you could show me that knot hole. Hey, Joey, remember you and me used to hang out? He's like, what? We never hung out. You're you're just my friend's wife. And he goes, she's oh, you know, I still think you're pretty cool. Can you show me where that knot hole is? And Joey's like, nah, I'm, I'm, I don't really feel comfortable with that if she's constantly asking if she's constantly if every single day she's asking for something that pertains to the way she was captured i don't think you can include the line she was quite happily living with him anyways after a long time of this and again i don't know if she, i don't know if she ever left the shack I don't know if her kids were basically like cave babies and they never saw the sun i'm imagining they did but she needed to have that knot hole released. And she kept pushing and pushing. And then one day she goes, listen, I can hear my mom calling for me. I can hear my mom calling for me. She's in England and she wants me. And if you just show me the knot hole, maybe that'll make her stop. And she's still going on about this knot hole. She's had like four kids at this point. She's still going on about the knot hole. And Tommy finally goes, you know what? Tell you what, I'll show you where the knot hole is. And he points to it. And she instantly flies out of the knot hole and is never seen again. And now Tommy's raised. He's a single dad with these kids. He became a sitcom on Fox. It's a folk tale. It's a German folk tale. It's interesting. I don't know what the lesson is supposed to be about it. It's from a book called North German Sagas, Fairy Tales, and Customs. And I don't really know. Is the moral of the story not to wrestle with your nightmares? Is it to not... I think the moral of the story is don't tell women where the hole is in your door. Because they might fly out of it. But I don't know how applicable that is in the modern times. Because at the end, he just became a single dad. He has all these kids now. He's like, no. But I think... When I read this story, I thought... 
what if you could bang a nightmare? Like, what if you could have sex? And I'm not talking about, like, sex with a ghost. I'm not even talking about, like, a succubus or incubus or anything like that. Like, what if you could have sex with a nightmare? That's actually the most normal thing I'm, I'm about to say. And then let's say that that nightmare has children. Or, you know what? Well, that, that's so abstract. Let's think of it like, let's say you bang a ghost. This will make this will make it a little more believable. You're banging a ghost. The ghost is coming to your house every night. It's getting kind of frisky. First, you're like sitting there watching television. You feel a little hand on your knee, and then when you're taking a shower, you feel like fingertips on your back. You think it's just the water going down your back, but it's not. It's fingertips. And then you get into bed and you see like the covers move, and you think you think it's just a horrible cockroach infestation. But you throw the covers up, and there's only three cockroaches. You go, I, I saw more movement than that. And it's really this ghost, this frisky ghost, and eventually you're you're doing the horizontal macarena with the ghost, and then the ghost has babies, human babies, indistinguishable from other humans. What then? Like it's an interesting question. <laughs> That's just you making up. That might be the most ludicrous thing. In fact, Jason, I think you actually did an episode making fun of a woman who had a ghost baby. I think I did too. But if you could have a sex with a nightmare, we'll go back to that one because I did totally dismiss ghost babies a long time ago. If we talk about having sex with a nightmare, what would that do? What I really want to get at is what would that do to the human DNA? What would that do to that lineage? Like, that dude now has four kids who at the very, very best are half British and at the very, very worst are half nightmare. Their, their eyebrows must be all messed up. And this is it's just one of those weird stories because when we think there are so many stories throughout human history that are about deities banging humans. This is pretty much the entire Greek mythology is about God's banging people. And even when you break that story down, and it's a story of two dudes in a cabin, and a girl shows up from the nightmare realm, they're still banging her and producing offspring. Is there something in the human ancestral mind where we constantly are talking about, not constantly, it's not not on the view all the time, but it's something that sparks our interest. It's half human beings. Like, what is it about that? Like, that is such a common trope. Even before stories were a thing, that was a cliche. Even before things were being written down and narrative structures were being formed, that was a thing. Half human, half spiritual whether that's a nightmare, whether that's a god, whether that's a Nephilim, however you say it, it's so ingrained into human culture. And I think that, it, what would that do to the human DNA if this stuff was possible? Would it be distinguishable? Would If you were able, if this was a true story and you were able to find the ancestors of these kids, would you be able to tell? Or because it's so magical and interdimensional, it would look like human DNA? Or is there a segment of society that is half Atlantean? At this point, they'd be like one, one thousandth Atlantean, but you know what I mean? Like, what would be the ramifications of having these people who are half nightmare, half human? 
Like, what would it actually do? And that's actually, surprisingly, a great segue. <laughs> that whole ramblingness was a great segue for our next segment. Adam, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Poland. We are headed all the way out to Portugal. <laughs> And as we're headed out there, I wanted to do a really quick Dead Rabbit Recommends. It's one of those movies I really can't talk much about. I think the joy is discovering it for yourself. I was randomly flipping through Netflix. I came across it. I had no idea what the plot is. And I watched it twice in a weekend. I really, really enjoy this movie. It's called The History of Future Folk. Some people describe it as a comedy. I would describe it as a drama with jokes. I would actually describe it as a documentary. I'm almost thinking this movie is real. Because as brilliant as this movie is, no one no one in it went on to do any other film. I'm wondering, like, is this a true story? It's so bizarre. It's so fun. It's not dark. It's not spooky. It's just a really, really, really well-made movie. It's the most whimsical movie you'll ever watch that is about a flesh about a flesh eating virus that is that plays a part in the film so really i recommend checking out the history of future folk and it just put it on you will enjoy it it's on netflix that's what i saw it on it's on it came out back in 2013 so it's an older movie but dead rabbit recommends the history of future folk we're headed to lisbon portugal it's september 17th 1680 it's 11:30 in the morning and I want to give a shout out to a, just a random internet user guy named Soul Drifter. He compiled all of this really cool information on a website. It's a forum called AlienExpanse.com. And he, he did some really cool work. So thanks, Soul Drifter, for getting all this stuff put together. September 17th, 1680, we're in Lisbon, Portugal. And the city is just, you know, doing its thing. The, the geese takeover has begun there as well. There's geese. There's a couple chickens. They're the rowdy ones you got to look out for. And then the people are just kind of milling about town. And then all of a sudden, a massive sound cracks across the sky. Three tongues of flame spew forth. Blah, 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 hitting the ground. Oh, no! Save the geese! Lightning begins striking the city. <laughs> Starting fires. Oh, his goose is cooked. And so as the mayor's laying there, oh, save me. A black cloud begins to descend from the sky. And from it, thunder echoes across the landscape. And out of this cloud emerged a huge hairy creature. And they see it, but it's like a blur. It's running so fast, they can barely get a glimpse of it, let alone chase it. But people are trying to chase this thing around. The city's in ruins. There's fires. There's still this horrible lightning storm. And this monster is running around their fields. They're trying to chase it. They can't catch it, but they keep running. And when they would get near it, it would be right in front of them, and then it would be behind them. And then they'd turn around and it'd be in front of them again, and then it would start running circles around them. So fast they could not make out any details. This whole event, this whole event leads into a storm, a powerful storm, that hits the city of Lisbon, and it kills 80 people. This is, this is not a good day to be in Portugal. But this creature who they saw as this omen of this utter destruction of their city, 
they can never catch a good glimpse of. They could see that he had a pretty big tail on him. But the thing that really stuck out to them was this creature was blue, white, and red. That's Sonic the Hedgehog. That's Sonic the Hedgehog. Now wait, 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 wait. Give me a second. That Sonic the Hedgehog came down to Lisbon, Portugal in 1680. He's running around. Now, this story was reported... Okay, the, the Sonic the Hedgehog part was not reported in this book, but there's a book called Wonders in the Sky by Jacques Vallée. He's a huge uh, UFOologist. And Chris Aubuck as well. He wrote this. The creature is this is described as being blue, white, and red. And when I read that and I read how fast he was and he was running around in circles, I thought Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog came to Earth. <laughs> Chris Chan is breaking out of jail right now just to listen to this episode. Sonic the Hedgehog came to Earth in the year 1680 and was running around Portugal. Now, that alone would be an interesting topic to talk about. I mean, obviously, a fictional character descending the planet. Do we know it was Sonic the Hedgehog? No, obviously not. But I wasn't there. But, but he does meet some of the criteria of being Sonic the Hedgehog. But if it was just a story that talked about... And it's a pretty cool story. Anytime, anytime 80 people die in a city, you know I'm going to cover it. It is a cool story. The idea of this super fast creature is cool. The idea that it could be Sonic the Hedgehog is super bizarre. Super bizarre. <laughs> Jacques Valley is not saying that. I am. But then, and then I thought about it. I thought about it. What if fictional characters are the Antichrist? Let me explain this theory. And what's funny is I have I've seen this pop up in other places online. I'm not the first person to put this together. But this was a story that I would see pop up on Reddit or on some forum like um what was the what's the other one I go to? Not above top secret. I go there and I go to Godlike Productions. I see it on Godlike Productions a couple times too. Superheroes are predictive programming, so when superheroes really show up, we will bow before them. And that conspiracy theory was so nuts, and the people who were talking about it was so nuts. I go, eh, there's not really a narrative hook here. Like if you're going to be insane, it has to be organized insanity. We've talked about that that on this show, but I've seen other people mention that. The one I saw, specifically on Reddit, I'll see if I can look it up, I actually think it got deleted, was that when aliens invade, they're going to come in the guise of superhumans. And since we already worship superhumans, we'll worship them. I'm taking it a step further. When we're dealing with the interdimensional, we kind of talked about this on the Bigfoot episode, but this week. Uh, but when we're dealing with the interdimensional, the average, the, the normal laws don't apply. I could not walk out of this closet and become Superman. If I put on a Superman costume, I wouldn't look like Superman. I would have to work out every day and take human growth hormones and, uh, you know, get taller. All this stuff just to appear to be like Superman. But if I'm some sort of interdimensional alien or a demon, I could appear like Superman. Easily. Easily. And if you're already demonic, if you already have these infernal powers or you have technology that can mimic these things, you could have the superpowers of Superman, right? Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Let's say the devil shows up tomorrow. 
Right, he makes his presence known. He's at like some sporting event. He's walking around. I guess I've just described that scene from The Dark Knight Rises. Imagine that, but Satan. Satan walks out on the field and he goes, Citizens of Earth, I am Lucifer. And you, you, I'm sure you guys know me. I'm famous for a lot of stuff around. I'm here. I'm taking over the world. And all these demons start crawling out of portals. People are going to fight back, right? There might be there might be a couple weirdos in West Memphis that are like, all right, now's our time to rise. But the rest of us will be like, ah. I think even saint worshippers would be like, oh, I didn't know this guy really existed. Ah, we'd all fight back. So that's why the idea of the Antichrist, when you read like the Book of Revelation, or even it's the Antichrist is mentioned multiple times in the Bible, but he's also mentioned as being there's multiple Antichrists. When you read the Bible, it's not a singular person, so that kind of works in my favor. But when you work, look at the story in the book of Revelation, Satan takes the guys as, like, the new Messiah, right? He's coming down. So I, I always figured he'd show up looking like Jesus, but he wouldn't come looking like a monster, right? He'd come looking like a redeemer, like a false prophet. But you would still have people. Now, in the book of Revelation, talks about, like, you know, people will be confused and people will worship him and stuff like that. So maybe there is some sort of magical element, like people are getting brainwashed and things like that. But I don't know. Nowadays, it doesn't seem to take much for people to start going nuts. Maybe you don't need magic. But anyways, I think even then, if some dude showed up and he's like, I'm the redeemer of humanity. If some guy showed up to you today and said that, you'd be like, what? What are you talking about, man? I'm I'm on my smoke break. Please leave me alone. And if you started seeing people talk about that in the media, like the, all the news outlets are covering this guy and he's this big redeemer, he's the Maitreya, whatever, you're going to have a sizable chunk of humanity that goes, I not only don't trust him, but I don't trust you because you believe in him so easily. So I'm not only going to fight against him, I'm going to fight against you. So you want to have a united front. You want to have all humans united against this d- demon because it looks like a demon in the first example. Now you'd have humanity split in half. And you'd have people of different religions fighting together against this guy who's claiming to be the Redeemer because he's interfering either with their economic interests or their spiritual interests or what. It'd be like any other world leader that's tried taking over. But this dude has magic and can turn into a seven-headed dragon. That's in the book of Revelation. But what if you could avoid the war altogether is what I'm talking about here. I'm watching this television show called Oz. It's about prisons. Prisons. It's from the 90s. I'm from the late 90s. There's a scene in it. There's a young man in a wheelchair. And he's been drug-free for about two years. And he meets his idol. His basketball idol is this basketball player who's now also in Oz. Because he beat up his girlfriend or something like that. And the basketball guy is doing drugs. And this young man, who's one of the protagonists of the show, and there's not many because it's about prison. It's about corrupt police and corrupt prisoners and how hats hang on heads, and all sorts of crazy stuff. The basketball star is doing drugs, and he offers some to the guy in the wheelchair, who we know now, we've known him for quite a few episodes, and he's kind of a moral center. And he goes, dude, do some drugs. And the guy in the wheelchair goes, no, I'm good. And he's like, do some drugs. Do it, do it, come on, man. This young man in this wheelchair who's in prison for killing a cop, (laughs) he's one of the moral centers of the show again, by the way. He starts doing drugs, and it's so interesting because I'm watching that scene, and I thought, in another television show, he would have rolled away in his wheelchair. That would have been it, and he would have had a moral victory, and we would have seen a difference between him and the other prisoners of Oz. But he started doing the drugs, and I'm sitting there, and I my mind's processing this, and I thought, 
that imagine if your hero because he goes on and on and on he idolizes guy he idolizes basketball player he's supposed to be like this michael jordan level player scored 58 points in a single game and now he's in your neighborhood and in this case you're a prison imagine if your hero wanted you to do something you knew was wrong Nothing serious. Not go out and kill anyone. Not go out and torture anyone. Just, you know what? Maybe have that drink. Have that smoke. Cheat on your wife. Whatever. Your hero says it. So we don't get taken over by a demonic entity. We don't get taken over by a religious entity. We get taken over by... Something disguising itself as our heroes. Spider-Man, Superman, The Flash, whatever. And that would be universal. You're not going to have everyone believe in the Marvel or the DC guys, right? You may have people in other countries who have regional heroes. Well, they show up too. I made that joke earlier about Chris Chan. We did a whole episode on the dimensional merge, and eventually all the fictional worlds are going to collide with ours, and it'll be this paradise. <laughs> as long as you don't live in Gotham City. What if that is how the world ends? Not in the field in Israel known as Armageddon, but on every street corner in the world. We merge with the fictional. We love our heroes. We love our stories. We tell these tales of heroics. These fictional characters seem real. You might be able to fight against a human adversary. You might be able to fight against a demonic adversary. But would you be willing to go to war with the heroes you grew up with? It'd be a lot harder. You may question, I think it's super weird that all of a sudden the fictional world is real. That's fine. You would question that, but would you instinctively try to pick up a gun or a pulse rifle or whatever weapon was lying around in this now fictionalized world to take out Daredevil or Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny? You'd hug them. We have entire theme parks dedicated to taking the fictional and making it real just so you can hug them. Take pictures with them. The perfect way to win a war for your opponent not to even realize the war is taking place. The forces of darkness are truly as smart as we think they are, as clever, as deceptive as we've all heard. They will not come in their true form. They won't even come in the form that everyone's expecting. If you look at the book of Revelation. They would come not as a redeemer, but as a friend. Would they appear as someone that nobody knew, who has all these miraculous powers and has to convince the world to bow before him? Or would Lucifer and his host of demons all just take the forms of these fictional characters and inhabit our world? And we love them already. We love them when we look at the page or on the screen. We'd love them more if they stood next to us. And once we are all in the thrall of these beings, once we have all submitted our hearts and our minds to our fictional friends, 
made real. That, that is when the slaughter begins. That is when we are enslaved. That is when we are broken. They do have that old saying. The worst thing about heroes is meeting them in real life. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.